I want us to look tonight at uh, the so-called Olivet Discourse. Uh, now, this occurs in all three synoptic Gospels, uh, but we're going to look at it in Matthew 24, but it also occurs in uh, Luke 21 and, and Mark uh, 13, but we'll, we'll pretty much stay uh, in Matthew 24. I have it on the outline if you did get, didn't get an outline, there's a whole bunch of them up here, uh, so do go and get one. Uh, and I printed out for you Matthew 24 and 25. Uh, tw- Matthew 25 consists of a couple of uh, parables uh, that, that reflect on prepara- prepara- preparedness or the need to be prepared uh, for the second coming. Uh, Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for the freedom and opportunities that are ours to spend um, this time together on a Wednesday evening. Thank you for a society uh, and a rhythm of life that enables us uh, to do this. Thank you for the opportunities we have to study the scriptures together, and we want to grow in our understanding of scripture, and as we think tonight about uh, the last things, about the second coming, about events that are prophesied in this particular chapter, some of which have already occurred, and pray, Lord, that we might learn the lessons that we're meant to learn for our own time, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's, uh, let's begin uh, Matthew 24. Let me, let me read the first couple of verses, which sets the scene uh, for what follows. And Jesus, of course, has been in Jerusalem and um, has lamented uh, over uh, J- Jerusalem and within a chapter or two, uh, we'll, be, um, uh, we'll be back in Jerusalem again, but uh, you see the lament, well, you don't, but if you have your Bibles, you'd see the lament for Jerusalem at the end of uh, chapter 23. And then in 24 verse 1, Jesus left the temple and was going away uh, down uh, perhaps into the valley below and then up through Gethsemane and up into the Mount of Olivet on the other side. And Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. Now, those of you who have been in Jerusalem uh, and have uh, been uh, in the temple area, uh, perhaps driven uh, around uh, on the southern side of it and and it's, a, it's still today a very impressive sight, uh, the point where uh, the, the fish gate and, and, and so on, uh, the eastern gate, uh, would, would be located. And just a, just a glimpse of it, perhaps, from the lower regions of Gethsemane, as you look back up towards uh, J- Jerusalem, and it's, it's, still, it's an impressive sight today. It would have been perhaps an even more impressive sight uh, in the time of the disciples. And um, 
So they're pointing out to Jesus this magnificent, the buildings of the temple, um, some extra construction that had been, uh, that the Romans had added and Herod had added to the temple. But then he answers them, verse 2, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. So he makes this prediction uh, about the uh, destruction of the temple. Not one stone will be left um, upon another that will not be thrown down. So it's a prediction of the destruction of the temple, and uh, we know that this took place uh, in events that began in AD 68 and, and culminated in uh, with uh, Titus and so on, with the destruction of the temple in, in AD 70. So clearly, in one sense, he's talking here about the destruction of the temple. Now, verse 3, some time later, as, as they're sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. So they're referring now to the observation that Jesus, the prophecy that Jesus has just made about the destruction of the temple, and they come asking this question, or, or what looks like a series of questions, tell us when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In English, it looks like three questions. Uh, in, the, in the English, it looks like, when will these things be, the things you've just been talking about, the destruction of the temple, uh, that's question number one. What will be the sign of your coming, question number two. And question number three, uh, what will be the sign of the end of the age? Now, in, in the Greek, it looks more like two questions than, than three questions. So, but clearly, there are... Um, there are two questions here. One is a direct question about the destruction of the temple. When will this be? The other is a question relating to the end, what they call the end of the age or your coming, the sign of your coming and of the end of the age as, as one question. And that's for us, we, we understand that those are, that's an entirely different question from the destruction of Jerusalem. Destruction of uh, the temple in Jerusalem took place in AD 70. The, the end has not yet occurred. So, so this is, the, these are two events separated by thousands of years, at least. Now, would the disciples have understood that? And the answer to that is probably no. That, that for the disciples, this was one and the same. That, that perhaps the coming of the kingdom, and think of the question that the disciples asked just a few weeks later uh, at Pentecost, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Right? Just before Jesus ascended, they asked him that question. So there was an expectation in the minds of the disciples that with the coming of Messiah would also come the coming of his kingdom in all of its fullness and glory as that kingdom would be expressed in um, Old Testament 
terms. So, so I think for the disciples, that's probably one question, but it is in fact two questions. And the issue about interpreting Matthew 24 is at what point is Jesus answering the first question, the destruction of Jerusalem, and at what point is he answering the second question about his coming, the sign of his coming and the end of the age. Now, let's, let's glance. So, so that's important. If, if, if we miss that, we're, we're, we're going to be at sea. And there is a huge... I must stop using that word. There is a, there is a large... Um, amount of disagreement among um, Bible-believing scholars and even Reformed scholars as to uh, the answer to those two questions as is given in this chapter. In other words, there's, there's a great deal of, of disagreement about how this chapter should be um, should be understood and how this chapter should be uh, parceled out in terms of answering questions one and two. Uh, let's pick up, let, let's try and enter into the, the passage and let me pick up a few verses just to give you a, a flavor of uh, part of the difficulty here. Verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Now, that looks like, right, you're reading this, uh, all other considerations apart, without any prejudice, without any eschatological views sort of imposing themselves on you. It can't be this, can't be that, can't be the other, because you have a certain grid in your head. Right? If you're just reading this like blank, that expression, and then the end will come, sounds like the end, meaning the second coming, the last judgment, the end. So you would, you would think that verse 14 is clearly a reference to the parousia, the second question. What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? But perhaps not. But perhaps verse 14 is not that. Perhaps, perhaps verse 14 is the gospel will be proclaimed throughout the whole world, the whole known world. Right? Think about Acts, how the, the gospel has gone to Rome and beyond. Right? So as far as, as far as the New Testament is concerned, it does look in one sense as though the gospel has been preached in the whole world, the, the world that was known to them, before A.D. 70. And then the end, end meaning the end of the temple, the end of the old covenant regime of which the temple was, was the heart of it, that end will come, perhaps. Right? So, although verse 14 looks as though it's saying the end will come, meaning the parousia, the second coming of Jesus, no, some people will say it, it's not that. He's still talking about question number one in verse 14. Well, let's drop down to verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Well, there you have it. The coming of the Son of Man is clearly, some people will say, that's clearly a reference to the second coming. 
the coming of the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven at the end of the age. That coming, the second coming, the parousia. So, some people will say, well, at least by verse 27, he's answering question two, not question one. Aren't you still following? There are two questions. At what point in this narrative is he answering question one? And at what point does he turn to answering the bigger question, the longer-term question, the signs of his coming and the end of the age? Some people say, well, by verse 27, clearly the Son of Man, coming of the Son of Man, sounds like second coming language. So somewhere a transition has taken place. Uh, Others will respond and say, no, even verse 27 is still a a reference to AD 70. And you might have to go down all the way to verse 36. Concerning that day and hour, that day, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day, now some people say there's a transition here. It looks as if there's a transition of thought in in Jesus. Whatever he's been saying up until this point has been, all of it has been an answer to question number one. Now in verse 36, but concerning that day, that day. That day is like, uh, to the Jews, would have been like uh, Super Bowl. I mean, Super Bowl is a reference to a day. It's a reference to an event that occurs on a certain day. It's not a reference to a, a, a bowl full of soup. Right? Super Bowl is, is that day. So, so when, when the Jews, when the disciples would have heard that day, it could only have meant the apocalypse the parousia, the coming of Jesus at the end of the age. Concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only, for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. So uh, there there are some who say the transition from question one to question two occurs after verse 35, or, or or, or maybe at the point of verse 36. That's the problem that we have. Well, let's, let's go back a little. Let's pick up, um, let's pick up the uh, discourse from verse 4. Uh, and the section that runs all the way down to verse 14. Um, he, he talks about Verse 4, Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead lead many astray. So so many uh, many, uh, false um, Christs will come. Uh, You have something similar. Go down to verse 23 and 24. For if anyone says to you, Look, here is Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Now, clearly, for me anyway, clearly in verse 5, these false Christs are false Christs that are are depicted prior to AD 70. This This is in answer to question number one. 
more than likely, the same is true in verses 24, uh, uh, 23, and 24. He's still talking about that period of history up to AD 70 and the destruction of the temple. Now, there were Jewish prophets uh, predicting that God would deliver the Jews from Rome. Josephus tells us that uh, one preached at an, uh, to an armed multitude on Mount uh, Gerizim. Uh, you have Simon uh, Magus, uh, Magus in Acts 8. Uh, there was a, a, a man by the name of Theudas who called himself a prophet and uh, promising to divide the river Jordan uh, until uh, the Roman uh, uh, procurator of Judea, a man by the name of Phadus, executed him. Uh, an Egyptian came with thousands of insurrectionists, promising that the walls of Jerusalem would fall at his command. So there were, there were plenty of false prophets in that period of history from, say, 35 to, to 65, in that period, especially during the reign of Emperor Claudius, for example. Now, bear in mind, and, 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 and here, um, even the events that lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem and the description of this period, the fall of the temple, the sacking of Jerusalem and the fall of the temple, acts like a dress rehearsal for the final judgment. There's a sense, I think, in which when Jesus is describing the events that lead up to the destruction of Jerusalem and of the temple, that that acts as a kind of type, if I can use that word loosely, as a kind of type, as a kind of dress rehearsal for what the end will actually look like. So, so there's a kind of pre-enactment of the final judgment in the judgment of Jerusalem. So some of the things that he describes as, as features of the period leading up to the fall of Jerusalem are also features that lead up to the second coming. So there's a kind of echo. Even though he's answering question one, and not question two, he's answering a question about the fall of Jerusalem, not about the parousia, but even in answering question one, there are echoes. Each of them will bounce, as it were, an echo into the answer to the second question. You still with me? Uh, look, at, um, look at verses seven and eight. Uh, well, let's, let's go back to verse six, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you're not uh, alarmed. For this must yet take place, but the end is not yet. Now, the, which, which end is he talking about? I, I think he's still talking about the, the end of the temple, the, the end of, of Jerusalem, the sacking of Jerusalem, that end, not, not the parousia. But it echoes into the parousia. Wars and rumors of wars... Uh, further down in verse 7, uh, you see famines and earthquakes uh, in various places. Well, Rome was often at war. 
uh, in the period leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem. Rome was in a constant war, just as there are still wars today. Right, so in one sense, he's, he's answering the question, what's, what's, what's the sign of, of the destruction of Jerusalem? Well, there'll be wars and rumors of wars. And there will be um, famines and earthquakes. Uh, there was a famine, an extensive famine, for example, in the reign of Claudius, uh, who reigned from 41, AD 41 to 54. An extensive uh, famine. And Tacitus, the, the, the Roman historian, records... Um, major earthquakes in places like Antioch and Phrygia and uh, Laodicea uh, in the period leading up to uh, AD 70. So there were earthquakes and famines, but hey, there are earthquakes and famines today. And there are wars and rumors of wars today. So even though he's answering question one, there's a kind of echo. Right? It bounces and it echoes. Yeah, but, but the whole period is going to be marked by that too. The troubles of this life intensify. Uh, let's go down. All these are but the beginning of birth pains, verse 8. That's an interesting figure, isn't it? In that in Romans 8, for example, Paul will speak of the, the creation groaning and travailing in birth, waiting for the renewal of all things. Right, so what are, these, what are these wars and rumors of wars? What are these famines and earthquakes? What, all of this distress in creation, then and now. Question one and question two, they are birth pains. Heading for the parousia, and, what, and what's going to happen at the parousia? Well, the judgment, but what's going to happen after the judgment? The new heavens and the new earth. The renewal of all things. Well, drop down to verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Right? So you've got, you've got apostasy. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, I, I, think, I think he's still talking about AD 70 at that point. Or is he? Right? Because I, th I think, I think it's, all, it's all too likely that there's an echo here. Yes, he's, he's answering AD 70. He's answering the question... That was prompted by the observation about this beautiful temple and Jesus saying that not one stone will be left standing on another. But this isn't going to happen until the gospel is preached in all the known world. Which actually happened. By Acts 28, the gospel has, to all intents and purposes, gone into the whole known world. But the end is not yet. Now, we have, we have used verse 14 in, in previous um, lessons to um, say that this is, one of the, this is one of the prophecies that needs to be fulfilled before the second coming. Right, so, verse 14 acts, as it were, 
well, possibly in a kind of dual way. My, my own view is that verse 14 is first and foremost a, a signal to AD 70, but it, it also acts as a kind of echo for what must happen before Jesus comes in the parousia. And then in verse 15, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. I definitely don't have time to go into the book of Daniel tonight, or we'll never emerge. But there's obviously this, 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 um, this prophecy in Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, uh, and and uh, again in verse in chapter eleven and uh, the the abomination of desolation, Daniel is is referring especially I think to Antiochus Epiphanes, right, an intertestamental figure, but this this term the abomination of desolation is now kind of well it became it, it becomes a kind of euphemism for for a, a particular, well, a particular evil, a particular hostile evil against the purity of religion. And certainly that happened before the destruction of the temple. The Roman armies invaded Jerusalem, fight and kill many, and desecrate the temple. Now, there are some who identify the abomination of desolation, not with the Romans and with the Roman army, uh, but they identify it, this with the zealots uh, because of something that Josephus wrote about uh, zealots planting um, uh, priests who weren't supposed to be priests because they wanted to make the temple uh, the kind of head, army headquarters for the, the rebellion. Um, so there is that interpretation, but, I, but I, I think largely the abomination of desolations spoken of by the prophet Daniel uh, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, he's talking about Rome, right? so he doesn't say Rome here because that would, that would lead to immediate persecution by the Romans, so, so, so he's saying to the, the, the read, Matthew is saying to the readers, let the reader understand then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is in the housetop not go down to take uh, what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back uh, to take his cloak and, and so on. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and this, and this, uh, this section goes on to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation. Um, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. Now, here's, here's the problem. What is this great tribulation? Right, so you've got this abomination that causes desolation. If, if, if we're still talking about Rome, we're still talking about pre-AD 70, at that point, this, this great tribulation is not a reference to something that attends the parousia, something that attends the second coming. Somebody asked me, was I pre-trib tonight? Right, the, the trib that you're talking about, I'm not. Right, because the expression pre-trib requires you to believe in, 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 um, in a, a rapture. 
um, which, which I, don't, I don't believe the Bible teaches a secret rapture. So the, 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 the question is moot. But, but that, that, that trib that, that is part of that question is this great tribulation. What, is, is this something that is, that is at the time of Jesus' second coming? Or is, or is this great tribulation the great tribulation that attends the destruction of the temple and Jerusalem in A.D. 70? And for my part, I'm, I'm, I'm still of the opinion uh, that Jesus is still answering, in effect, question number one, though it has echoes into the second part of the question. Because before Jesus comes, there will be tribulation. We know of the man of lawlessness, for example. We know of the prediction concerning Antichrist. For example, the book of Revelation does seem to speak of a battle of Armageddon, whatever that battle is and whatever that battle actually looks like, all, all of which attend the second coming. So, so although specifically I think the great tribulation here is, is a reference to the destruction of Jerusalem, it echoes into that, that second question. Uh, Verse 21, then there will be great tribulation such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray if possible um, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. He still seems to be speaking to his disciples. This doesn't seem to be a reference first and foremost to a generation of people 2,000 years from the time Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to these disciples. So it it must have relevance to the generation of people that Jesus is actually addressing. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Now, have we, have we gone from AD 70 to the Perusia yet? For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, in other words it, will be, it will be visible just as a lightning brightens up the whole sky. Right? And for a second or two, you can see the entire horizon from, from east to west. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Right? It won't be a secret thing. People are saying, you know, he's come. He's out in the desert somewhere. You need to go and look for him. But you didn't see him. No, when Jesus, when, when, when this event occurs, you'll know about it. Right? But is he talking about, the question is, is he talking about um, the events that surround the destruction of Jerusalem, or, or uh, is he talking about the second coming? John Murray, for example, uh, believes that at verse 27, you, you've gone into the second question. Right? John Murray, for example, would believe that 20, verse 27 is, is clearly a reference to the second coming. Uh, others, uh, Don Carson, uh, for example, 
would say no, uh, he, is still, uh, he is still addressing the issue of the destruction of uh, Jerusalem. Uh, wherever the corpses, there the vultures will gather. Again, it's, it's the issue of visibility, right? If there's a corpse, you'll see the vultures in the sky. It's not going to be a secret thing. It's not going to be there's a body in the desert, nobody can find it, right? Because if there's a body out in the, uh, in, in the Nevada desert somewhere, um, there are going to be uh, vultures up above that, you, that will tell the tale. So it's not a secret thing. That's the point that he's making. So this... this this coming, this end, well, uh, th- this end of the age, the end is not yet, but this end in verse 6, this coming of the Son of Man, uh, it's, not a, it's not a secret thing. Now in verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken, then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man um, coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, for me, right, and you have to, you can ask Dr. Davis afterwards, uh, for me, I, I, I'm, I'm having enormous difficulty by the time I come to verse 29 to, to, to hold on to the idea that Jesus is still talking about A.D. 70. Now, there are lots of folk who still do. If, for example, your view of, of end times is a, a post-millennial one, namely that Jesus will come after a millennium of, of blessing. In other words, the end looks good. Right? The gospel is going to prosper. The world gets better. You've got to get rid of a lot of, of bad stuff. So that, 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 that impels a lot of interpreters to move anything that sounds remotely bad to, to AD 70 and get that out of the way. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven. So there's, this, this, there's a cosmic dimension. I don't think we're meant to take this literally. This is, a, this is apoc- almost like apocalyptic language, um, very reminiscent of something in Joel, very rep- reminiscent of something in the book of Revelation, um, apocalyptic language, that this is a cosmic event. But... But clearly, by verse 30, you have the appearance in heaven and the sign of the Son of Man, and, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now, there are those, and, and, and uh, to be fair, there are those who still say that this is a reference to AD 70 that, that echoes in the parousia, when Jesus will come on the clouds of heaven with a, a trumpet call. And, 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 and they see this as, as a, a kind of um, dress rehearsal, that Jerusalem and the language used to describe Jerusalem is a kind of dress rehearsal for, uh, for uh, the end. Um, the lesson of the fig tree in verse 32 
from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Now, that's the, that's the, the, the Achilles heel. That's the whatever, whatever you want to call it. That, that's, that's the verse. If, if, you're, if you're saying verses 29 through 31 is a reference to the second coming, right, you've moved from question 1 to question 2, what does Jesus then mean in verse um, 34? Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This generation will not pass away. Well, clearly, if, if Jesus is already speaking about the second coming, you've got to make this generation mean something else. It, it can't mean the generation then living, right? most of whom would be dead before the end of the century. No, probably all of them would be dead by the end of the century, right? And some of them would be dead before AD 70. But this, this generation, now there are all kinds of, of, of ways to, to, to interpret that. This generation could mean, some, some people say it means Israel. This generation, this ethnicity, the, the race of Israel will not pass away until all these things come to pass. If you're... Um, If you're, um, if you're interpreting verses 29 through 31 as a reference to the second coming, you, you have to do something with verse 34. Truly, I say to you, um, this, uh, this generation uh, will not pass away um, until all these things uh, are accomplished. Now, that's why, um, that's why some will say, clearly, right up until verse 34, Jesus is answering question number one about the destruction of Jerusalem, which will take place within the lifetime of the disciples, an event um, that was... Uh, a quarter, 25 years or so into their, into their uh, future. Or, um, if, 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 if you could restrict the all things, um, all things excluding, excluding verse 14, for example, if, if, you, if you interpret verse 14 as this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and you see that as a reference to the parousia, then clearly that's not going to be fulfilled within the lifetime of the apostles. Right? So you can, you can restrict, you can, you, can, you can change the meaning of um, this generation, or you can restrict uh, the meaning um, and, and, the, and the reference of all these things, meaning, well, most of these things, these things in general, perhaps something, something like that. Now, uh, 
Clearly, there's, uh, there's, a great deal of, um, uh, there's a great deal of disagreement. Um, an area where there is no disagreement is what does this say, whether it's a reference to AD 70 or whether it's a reference to the second coming or whether there may well be a, a double fulfillment here, that Jesus is speaking primarily of AD 70, but it's echoing into um, the parousia. Um, First of all, no one knows that day or that hour in verse 36, not even the angels. And then he goes on to say, for as were the days of Noah... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So 120 years, Noah was warning them and they paid no attention. So, and then suddenly the flood comes. And, and it's the suddenness. And, and in one sense, despite all of the signs the unexpectedness of the second coming. And the lesson, verse 42, therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Or verse 44, uh, therefore you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, so you need to be ready. Even if that readiness is not that Jesus is coming at any moment, in the next five seconds, which is something I've said in the past, I didn't actually believe, because there were events that must take place before Jesus comes. You still need to be ready. You still need to be prepared. We need to live our lives as though Jesus could come within our lifetime. And then in verses 45 through the end of the chapter, the faithful and wise servant whom his master set over his household to give them their food at their proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Right? And the lesson in verse 50, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. At an hour he does not know. You need to be ready, but you also need to be faithful. Right? So that when he comes, he'll find you doing. He'll find you believing. He'll find you trusting. He'll find you evangelizing. You'll find you singing his praises. So, so not just ready, but faithful. Uh, and then in chapter 25, you've got uh, two large sections, verses 1 to 13, uh, the ten virgins. Again, a, a lesson about uh, being prepared. Verse 13 of chapter 25, Watch therefore, for you know, not, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Uh, and then the parable of the talents uh, from verse 14 uh, through to verse uh, 30, and, and the lesson again in verse 30, uh, and cast the worthless servant into, into the outer darkness, in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, the lesson is a warning about retribution. Um, leading to the final judgment in the latter section of chapter 25. Well, this Olivet discourse 
right? Matthew 24, and you might say Matthew 25 too, right? so two, large, two huge chapters in Matthew, Luke 21, Mark 13, they, they occupy a considerable um, percentage of the gospel record and of the teaching of Jesus. It's not, it's not peripheral teaching. It's not, it's not something I think that we can, that we can regard as unnecessary or trivial. Jesus is coming again. And I, and I think what Matthew 24 is saying, although it is one of the most difficult chapters in the Bible, I think what Matthew 24 is saying is that the destruction of Jerusalem, its, its suddenness when it eventually came, the, 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 the need for faithfulness on the part of disciples in the wake of uh, signs of its impending coming, um, acts as a kind of dress rehearsal for the final coming, the second coming, and the judgment that will, um, that will uh, follow it. So be ready, be prepared, be faithful, be trusting, uh, I think are the lessons here from uh, the Olivet Discourse. All of it um, sparked by uh, an observation that the disciples made about how beautiful the architecture was, and it led into this uh, profound um, uh, analysis of, uh, of the end uh, by our Lord Jesus. Well, I think, yes, that's, our time is done. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, these are incredibly difficult um, verses in, in the Gospels and in the Scriptures. And just when we think we see it, sometimes it disappears from us again. There are aspects of it that are clear aspects of Jesus' coming, aspects of judgment that will befall those who are outside of Christ, the need to be ready, the need to be prepared, the need to be faithful, the need to be found doing. And we pray that those things that we understand, those things that we perceive, those things that are clear to us, uh, would be hidden within our hearts and make us into the kind of disciples that we ought to be, and uh, help us as we continue to grow in our understanding of our Lord's teaching here. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.